What are the teachings of Buddhism? Is it a religion or just a philosophy? Can Christians believe in it? Can they believe in karma? Are any of the Buddhist tenets compatible with theism or even Christianity? Could thinking through Buddhism actually help someone arrive at believing in a God? We're going to be talking about all of that and much more on today's episode of Theology on Air. Well, welcome back to Theology on Air. Theology on Air is an offshoot of Theology on Tap, a ministry to young adults in Houston, where we drink delicious beer and we talk about interesting things around philosophy, theology, faith and culture. And um, then here at the podcast, we get to dive in even more deeply and pick people's brains like, like Tyler's. But I am Sarah Stone. I'm the Outreach Director for Young Adults at MVPC uh, here in Houston. I'm joined by Evan McClanahan senior and only mm-hmm. pastor at First Lutheran here in Midtown. I'm also the associate pastor. Yeah. You're the everything. Yeah. You're also right. like the janitor sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Electrician, plumber. Mm-hmm. Right. He's a jack of all trades, but he also knows his Bible. Um, and our guest today is Tyler McNabb. Tyler is an associate professor of philosophy at the University of St. Joseph Macau. He's joining us from several hours ahead. So it's It's nine o'clock a.m. here and it's 11 something there. Yikes. He's author of Religious Epistemology, co-author of Plantingian Religious Epistemology and World Religions, and co-editor of Debating Christian Religious Epistemology. He has a book coming out that we're going to be talking about some today, but welcome, Tyler. So glad to have you. It's good to good to talk with you. It's been been some time and uh, good to meet you (laughs) for the first time. Um, Indeed. But uh, yeah, um, uh, funny enough. Uh, I just happen to have a Houston Rocket shirt on, so I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm back in Houston for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are the Houston Rockets still, uh, you know, popular in uh, China, given Yao <laughs> Ming and all of that? Oh yeah. Uh, no, it, it went down. The popularity. Oh, went down. Yeah, yeah. oh really? Did it really? Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, here, here, I think the biggest team by far is the Lakers. Uh, so, Yao I'm Ming sorry. was here today, though, in Macau. Oh wow! Yeah. So, did he stand out in a crowd? <laughs> Sorry, I'll be quiet. Now. No, you're fine. This is basketball talk, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Just making sure it's a cool. sport with an orange ball. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, do you speak? Is the the language are Cantonese? Is that the main language yeah. in Macau? Yeah. Do you yeah. speak any? Can you do the whole interview in Cantonese? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> my like two people would know what you were saying, but still. <laughs> uh, my wife is trying to do, uh, learn Cantonese and teach it to our children and our children in like August will be going to uh, school where it'll be taught in English, but like all the kids will be speaking Cantonese, you know, when it's class isn't in session. So we'll, we'll be getting immersed soon. Yeah. Uh, uh, my university lectures only in English. So I'm, you know, okay. I'm, I'm okay in that regard, but I'm, I'm trying to pick up on some things. I'm trying to yeah. pick up on some things. Cool. Well, I would love to pick your brain more at, like about foods you're eating, but today we're here to talk about theology. McDonald's. That's the name McDonald's. Of the, that's make, what I mean. Stop with that. Mm. And KFC. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, okay. So before we get into all the theology nerdy stuff, um, tell people, if people don't remember you from when you were at Theology on Tap, tell people just a little bit about you, sure. as much as you feel comfortable telling us about your own kind of journey of faith, what all brought right. you to be interested in all this kind of stuff? Yeah. So, um, I've been married for 13 years this month nice. <laughs> or else I had to, I had to kind of, you know, <laughs> figure out what month I'm in and so forth. But, um, and, uh, have five children. Um, so Eden, Elijah, Ezra, Eva Maria and Ezekiel. Right? Um, and, uh, so we're, we're Catholic, big Catholic family, right? Um, I figured it was that and, or Mormon, so. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so uh, in high school, when I was a senior in high school, I um, uh, had this kind of short agnostic stage where actually um, I was on the verge of becoming an atheist and not just like any sort of atheist, but I was about to endorse like nihilism, <laughs> straight on Nietzsche sort of uh, atheism. <laughs> And uh, I ended up having a religious experience and uh, God, God uh, revealed himself to me. And um, long story short, I uh, started evangelizing a couple of weeks or two months later, I think two months later, I uh, started doing street evangelism. And when I started doing street evangelism, um, I realized that, hey, you know, I, I need to figure out how to communicate and talk with anyone who I meet, right? I, I want to be able to 
help bring them to Jesus no matter where they are, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're an, an atheist philosophy professor or, um, you know, a, a devout uh, person of another religious tradition or, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I want to be able to, to meet them where they're at and, and help them uh, find Jesus. And so, um, yeah, so that kind of got my interest into religious traditions. Mm. And um, I primarily have worked in something called um, epistemology. So the study of knowledge, but specifically doing something called religious epistemology. Right? Yeah. So um, most of my time I've spent um, uh, answering questions about how we can know that God exists and how belief in God can be rational. Yeah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I've, I've still have kept this um, interest in other religious traditions and uh, even seeing if uh, my sort of religious epistemology is compatible with other religious traditions. But all this to say, I was lecturing. I had a comparative philosophy class when I was uh, teaching at HBU. And uh, as I was lecturing, I was like, well, you know what? Like, if you understand um, Buddhism in this way, uh, you know, to my class saying this, yeah, uh, I was like, this actually seems compatible with theism. And sort of a, a light bulb, you know, <laughs> was going off. And I started lecturing on this idea. And then, um, yeah, uh, when um, a, a research position at the University of Macau opened up, they were like, you need to pitch a project to us. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, well, hey, the other day I was working on, I was thinking about this. Mm -hmm. So why not this? And so that's how the book began. I ended up getting hired at a different university full time. Um, but um, yeah, I nonetheless still finished the book and, and wrote it. And uh, my co-author can't be here with me today, unfortunately, yeah. Eric Baldwin. We've, we've done a lot of co-authoring and he's, he's awesome. He's great. He's unfortunately, um, he's like, you know, probably uh, more knowledgeable in some of the finer aspects of uh, Buddhist philosophy. But um, nonetheless, you know, still no bit. And so hopefully I can be of service today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. And I think Buddhism is one of those things that everybody thinks they know what it is. And then you start talking and everyone knows a few things. They know the word Zen. They know there's meditation monks that wear some orange. Then they do that thing with the sand sometimes. And there's karma and some, something about the ocean waves when you die. I mean, but I don't know that everybody actually knows much about there's like five, five seven somethings. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, we'll get to that. But Tell us just, uh, I mean, so we're going to be talking about Buddhism, but tell us first, because you're going to be talking about how it maybe dovetails or points to, or could lead to classic theism. So right. let's define some terms first. I mean, we have some theology nerds that listen and they know what that means, but for those people that are like, what are you talking about? What is classical theism? Yeah. So this is like actually like, um, a really important point too, because, if you just say theism, <laughs> then then a lot of what I'm going to say actually isn't going to follow. And, and a okay. lot of what I'm going to say won't be compatible with Buddhism at all. So it's specifically a type of theism that's compatible, right? It's the theism that was, say, defended by St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Uh, by the early Reformed theologians. Um, I mean, it's uh, by, you know, St. Augustine, et cetera. Uh, when I say classical theism... I'm going to contrast this with what's called neo-classical theism or theistic personalism. What we're, we're actually the, going to be doing a, a series of podcasts on this later this are, year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Getting some HBU nice. professors on board with that, but keep going. This is great. Yeah. So um, um, the, the, the difference is um, theistic personalism is kind of like the view where God is mutable. So God changes. Uh, he can still be like immutable in a really weak sense, <laughs> like where he's good, right. faithful, and he's going to stay faithful and good, you know, tomorrow and the next day. But the idea is that there is genuine change in God. There's genuine potentiality in God and uh, that he is passable. We can, you know, bring about change in God. We can um, cause God to suffer, right? Um, there's different ways to understand passability, but nonetheless, that's, that's the general idea. And that uh, God is complex. He's made up of parts. He's made up of various properties. So you would say like, oh, hey, um, God has omniscience. Sorry, that's a property. God has um, goodness. That's a property, right? Uh, so, yeah, this is to be contrasted, however, with 
classical theism, which basically just denies these things. Yeah. So God is actually metaphysically simple. <laughs> yeah. God is not made up of parts. Why it seems like God has various parts, right? When we say God's omnibenevolent and omniscient, uh, really his knowledge is the same thing as his goodness, which yeah. is just the same thing as his power, which just Godness. is the same thing as his existence. God is identical to existence itself, right? To his existence. Uh, so properties are kind of shorthand descriptions, right? Shorthand ways of talking about uh, the same thing, namely that God is. Um, God is immutable. There's no potentiality in God whatsoever. So think about like the Aristotelian proof that Thomas Aquinas defends, right? The first way. God is pure actuality. Um, so, uh, you know, literally, <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, there is no change in him. There's no potential uh, to, to change. He's um, completely, wholeheartedly immutable. Um, and then, uh, yes, and then um, God is impassable. So given that God has no potentiality, God um, lacks potentiality, right? We can't cause change in God. We can't, right. we can't move upon God. He is pure act. And so yeah. um, this is the sort of theism where God is existence itself, where God is not a thing, right? So uh, uh, in the Neoplatonist tradition, um, someone like uh, David Bentley Hart, uh, maybe, you know, people know who he is, um, uh, Orthodox theologian. Uh, he calls following like the Neoplatonic tradition, he calls God a no thing, God a no thing, right? So it, it kind of sounds like controversial, nothing. right? Yeah. God is nothing, right? <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, uh, Father Brian Davis, a uh, famous Thomas scholar, um, especially a lot, does a lot of uh, defense of Thomas Aquinas's philosophical thought. He's within the Catholic tradition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he likewise, right? God's not a thing. He's not a being like you and I. He mm. is being itself, right? Mm. Um, we, we might say that God's a person or personal, mm -hmm. but all these words are just going to be applied to God differently than they are going to be applied um, uh, to, to you and I, right? Um, so part of, you know, there's a lot of uh, key figures who would stand within this tradition that, that uh, I'm sure you know. But uh, yeah, so this is the sort of theism that I have in mind when I say that classical theism is consistent with um, uh, uh, Buddhism. Uh, this is kind of what I this is the sort of depiction picture of what I have in mind. Yeah. OK, so for those people out there that are like maybe feel like a little bit lost, uh Classical theism is probably what they, if you just grew up in sort of Orthodox Christianity in America, you probably were more privy to classic theism, classical theism than this theistic personalism, right? And that theistic personalism tends to start opening doors to things like open theism, process theology, right? Where like you can, God is sort of evolving or God is, can you can change God's mind, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, I know I'm simplifying or I'm picking like one. No, piece no, that's, it, that's right. Yeah. So if you, if you grew up in sort of low church uh, traditions or yeah. uh, sort of just general evangelical traditions, probably yeah. um, you've been presented uh, God as this much more of this personalistic sort of understanding um, in which uh, you're absolutely right. Um, this does oftentimes um, uh sort of situate the open theism yeah. debate a lot better. Um, but if you grew up in a Catholic tradition, um, perhaps some of the higher reformed traditions, um, you, you would, you would understand perhaps if you were catechized and so forth, you would, uh, maybe, maybe this, this classical theistic God would sound a bit, uh, a bit more familiar to you as, as well. Um, the, the main thing though, I, I think it's to get across is that, um, you know, theistic personalists want to say that God, is um, like a maximally great person. Yes. <laughs> he's a maximally great mind. He, he's in the same category as you and I. Right. And so far right. persons. He's just maximally great in our creator yes. and, you know, all that sort of stuff. While the classical theist is going to want to say, no, no, like there are no words, <laughs> which um, uh, can, we can 
uh, understand God sort of uh, univocally, right? What philosophers call univocal understanding of God. Um, how, how we understand God is going to be much more mysterious, right? It's going to be by way of analogy, not, uh, not by univocal predications. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, okay. yeah. So, anyway. so, so do you think these are two equally valid ways to understand God? Um, or, or do you think one is total trash and one is a, a total treasure? Where, where, where do you stand? What, tell me, tell me what I should believe. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, um, you should believe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Go ahead. Yeah. You, you should, uh, uh, <laughs> uh repent and submit to the uh, pontiff of Rome right now. I'm joking. <laughs> kind of. Um, JK kind of, uh, so, um, yeah, I'm a classical theist, obviously, cause that's, that's the Catholic tradition, um, for, uh, I mean, I, I've defended it. So recently I, I uh, co-wrote a paper defending how classical theism fits well with what we know about cognitive science. Um, you know, this book will have two chapters defending classical theism. Um, so I'm interested in def- defending classical theism, being a classical theist and so forth. Um, I like Aquinas and Aristotle and so forth. Um, so I, I guess I would, I'd be on team classical theists, but here's the interesting thing about the project. Um, you don't have to be a classical theist to think the project, uh, is helpful, right? Yeah. Because you can be a neoclassical theist and think, okay, um, uh, God, I deny classical theism, but nonetheless, I'd rather someone who was a Buddhist be a classical theist than no theist at all. Of right? course, of course. And so when you're, when you're talking it up with a, um, you know, your Buddhist friend, right. Um, you can say, well, Hey, there is this conception of God. I don't necessarily endorse it, but Hey, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is kind of consistent with some of your claims. So when I was in seminary taking like theology one one kind of, um, I actually took it with Wayne Grudem and he Mm -hmm. talked about the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God, Mm -hmm. which makes me think kind of the, the parts that you were talking about, but it was my understanding. That's just how we can understand God. Those are kind of words that our simple minds can understand. God is not as, you know, he can't be reduced to he's this, he's this, he's this. Um, but those yeah. are ways that we can help under we can learn more about who he is by like we, he's creative, he's whatever. We can apply like, for example, like the word good to yeah. God in the same way we apply to us. When I say Sarah is good, yeah. Um, usually that means like Sarah, you know, she follows God or she she does her moral duties, you know, she helps out people yeah. who, who I pay who my need taxes it. and I love my kids. Yeah. You know, and there's a standard called good that's that you know we're judging Sarah by right now, right? Well, God and classical theism is identical to goodness itself. Right. Uh, there is no standard outside of God in which we can right. judge God's actions. Moreover, um, uh, God doesn't have any moral duties. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so the word good is, can't be applied univocally in the same exact way. And so while we don't want to say that the word good for God is something radically different that we have no idea. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, nonetheless, you know, somewhere in the middle, right? And that's what philosophers call analogical. Uh, so, so these, these are, um, uh, we, we understand God uh, by way of analogy. Yeah. That's well, it's fascinating. We're not going to spend the rest of the time on that, but we had to at least cover that so that when you say words like classical theism, people know what you're talking about, but okay. So l- walk us through, we only we're, this whole podcast is only an hour, but walk us through kind of the basics, the core teachings of Buddhism. If, you know, I'm a six-year-old and I've never heard of Buddhism before. What is, what is Buddhism? Was it Michael Scott quote? Explain this to me like I'm five. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, Right. Okay. So um, when you're talking about Buddhism, there's um, obviously the four noble truths that we can get into. um, But new is that there was some number in there. I conflated it with Islam (laughs) that has the five. Okay. Four noble. Uh, But I, I find um helpful you know looking at contemporary buddhist philosophers right and kind of reading them and and seeing how they summarize their own faith right so there's uh a buddhist philosopher named jay garfield right and he's he's really good he has a book called engaging buddhism which i highly recommend um especially if you have some familiarity with philosophy um his, his book is is quite helpful um but so he he lists he he phrases it phrases it like this, that there is suffering in this world, right? 
and that suffering in this world is um, caused by confusion about ultimate reality, what ultimately exists. Mm-hmm. Right? And that suffering, uh, that confusion uh, comes from how re- reality is, is actually you know, metaphysically different than what we think. So the two most important metaphysical theses of Buddhism that I take is to be that uh, all phenomena are impermanent. All things are impermanent. All objects are impermanent, whatever word you want to use. Um, And uh, all things are interdependent. And because of this, and we'll discuss exactly what that is. Yeah. uh, Because of this, um, things are all things are empty of an intrinsic nature. Things lack an intrinsic nature. So we'll get into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in just shortly summarizing the core tenets of Buddhism here from Garfield, um, he, he argues that fundamental confusion takes place right at, at the phenomenal level. Um, so we think that things are permanent, <laughs> independent, and things have uh, you know, their own intrinsic nature. And so when you this say your own suffering. intrinsic nature, what do you mean? Like I have my diet Coke here and I think it's made of like syrup and carbonated water. And what do you mean when you say it doesn't have an intrinsic yeah. nature? So we'll, we'll get into that. Just one second, one second. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll finish summarizing the, uh, Sorry. The, the view. No, 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 no. It's fine. And then we'll, uh, I'll, I'll get into what I mean by interdependence and, and impermanence and so on. Okay. Um, uh, so, so, um, uh, the the idea again being um, ultimate reality <laughs> uh, things are changing right things are mutable things are impermanent uh, things are interdependent all thing de- all things depend on each other conceptually causally we'll get into it um, and so our minds though they they don't they don't realize that they think reality is ultimately uh, where things are permanent, where things are um, uh, d- independent, right? Where, where things exist independently from right, other objects and conceptions and so forth. And so we, we can eliminate the pain that's caused by this. Mm. Right? We, can, we can eliminate the pain that's caused by the lack of, of realization that all things are impermanent and interdependent um, and having a, to, and I quote Garfield, an ethically appropriate orientation to the world uh, characterized by a, a cultivation, an attitude of rejoicing in the welfare and goodness of others, beneficence towards others, and especially uh, commitment to the act of welfare sentient beings. So we need to reorient right, our minds and have uh, regarding the right realization, right? We need to reorient our minds, realize that things are interdependent and impermanent and things lack intrinsic nature. And we need to ethically appropriately behave in such a manner, right? And this is gonna how, uh, this is how we will reduce suffering. Um, so this is the solution for reducing suffering. This, I take it to be uh, sort of the core Right of 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 the mere teachings of Buddhism. If you want to follow C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. right, and call it um, uh, mere Buddhism, right, mm-hmm. instead of mere Christianity, right, right. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, now I can go ahead and get into what exactly. The, so the the key thes- the key bit of what I've just described that's going to be in conflict with theism is not that there's suffering in the world, right? Sure. Obviously, there's plenty of that. Uh, Christians will say that, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not that we can reduce suffering <laughs> from a right realization about reality, about ultimately what is, or that we, you know, following uh, an ethical path, path that is corresponds with how ultimate reality is, right? Yeah, that can reduce suffering. Sure, <laughs> no problem, right? As as Christians and thinking that's the case, or as theists thinking that's the case. Um, however. Right. The, the key thing there is going to be accepting the interdependence thesis and the impermanence thesis. Mm-hmm. And so um, by impermanence thesis, I mean the thesis that um, that all things are changing. Right? All things 
are constantly changing. So they have this like radical view here where um, if anyone's familiar with the Leibniz's law of identity, it's sort of a radical version of that where uh, if there's any subtle, small change, right? Um, in uh, a, an object, then that's a new object. It's then, then it's not the same object as it was before. And obviously things are constantly changing, right? Um, things are losing the property of existing at 1138 at night. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll gain the property of, mm -hmm. you know, being at 1139 at night, right? This is like um, the, you never step in the same river twice kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, it, it's, it's uh, the idea is that things are radically impermanent. Okay. And so we're, we're, we're attaching ourselves to things we think are permanent. Like we we're desiring like, man, it would be really great if I could have like a billion dollars right now, <laughs> um, or really be great if I could get that car or that PlayStation five or that, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, it'd be really great. And we're acting as if these objects have permanence. Right. And in fact, right. It's, it's, it's these, these objects are in constant flux. It's not the same object as it was yesterday, as it will be today and will be tomorrow. Right. So that's the impermanence thesis that all things are impermanent. Right. The interdependent thesis um, is the standard uh, formulation of it is when this arises, that arises. When this does not occur, that does not occur. <laughs> uh, a more technical understanding, David Burton, Buddhist philosopher, I think he's a Buddhist philosopher, he at least publishes in Buddhist philosophy. Um, he says, all entities have a dependently arisen and conceptually constructed existence. So everything is um, conceptually and causally connected together, right? Kind of one organic whole, right? Everything is dependent on one another. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're acting like uh, that things are permanent, that things are um, uh, independent of themselves, like they're, they're, they, they're, they're objects that um, have intrinsic nature. And so what, what, what we mean, what we can talk about when we're talking about intrinsic nature is that... Um, that, that there is sort of an independent uh, identity uh, of, of that object that, that's, that's, um, uh, that, that, that it has it within its own being, right? <laughs> that its identity is within itself and its own inherent existence. Um, uh, it, 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 it has that identity inherent in itself and it doesn't depend on anything else conceptually, causally, et cetera, for its identity. Right? Can you give us an example so that we take this out of the realm of philosophy and into like pick an object or pick a thing or a person or something and kind of walk us through what it would look like if it yeah. was independent or not? Yeah. So um, let's talk about, um, um, you know, um, let's say a man who lost uh, his, his wife, right? Okay. Um, maybe, maybe she, you know, died of something, right. We'll just, she got in a car accident or something. Um, what was his wife, right? His wife was, uh, he understands her as having sort of, as having had inherent existence, right. Uh, where she wasn't causally dependent on anything else for her, her own existence. Um, but in reality, her existence, even when she was alive, was dependent on others, right? Sure. Uh, kind of like the butterfly effect. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with that. So I mean, like, I've seen the Aston Kutcher movie, so I'm basically- Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's, it's the idea is something like, um, uh, you know, she depends on her dad and mom for her existence and they depend on others and they depend on others. Yeah. And not only biologically is, is, is there dependence, but, you know, um, she's connected to people who give, <laughs> who give her parents money, right. For, 
um, uh, his work that he, or the job her dad does sure, and, and the food she puts in her body and all those things. Yeah. So everything is connected to her. She depends on everything else. She depends on, uh, sure. on the collective whole, so to speak. And, and in a sense, she still is connected to the husband. So the, the grieving husband, right. Uh, he's, he, he wants his wife, but in a sense, uh, he still is connected to her causally, right? And maybe in his own identity and how it morphs and so forth. So, so, so we, uh, e- even that, it's, it's something that's supposed to bring, you know, in a world of constant flux and constant change, it's supposed to bring some sort of calmness and some sort of serenity, knowing that no matter what happens, I will always be connected, right, with my loved one. And it's interesting that you're talking, you chose an example and maybe you'll regret choosing this example after I say this, I don't know, but where he can sort of still be connected because she's still dependent on all these outside pieces because isn't one of the big things about Buddhism. And it's one of the big things that would keep me from being Buddhist is this idea of detachment that we're constantly supposed to be detaching ourselves from people and things and relationships and that kind of thing. So he shouldn't want to hold on to her. Right. Uh, well, you know, it, it depends on what, what we're talking about here, right? So it's, it's, it's not in Buddhism to say that we should just like not strive for right realization, right? That's, that's, it's sometimes in like evangelical circles, uh, you know, if you, uh, you might hear like, well, hey, you shouldn't desire anything. Well, guess what? That means you shouldn't desire not to desire, right? And you, 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 know, you um, that's, that's not what's meant by desire, right? The idea is that we're, we have wrong orientation. We, we, we're, we see the world wrongly. We see the world as if it is imperm- as, as it is permanent and dependent, that there is intrinsic identity in all things. Um, and, and we're desiring these things as such. But we need to recognize that these things aren't <laughs> permanent, um, that, that they aren't uh, 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 independent. And we, we need to stop desiring them as such. Right. So, um, for this case, you know, and also understanding that, um, you know, the radical and permanent thesis would be applied here as well. So, um, you know, his wife, the, the sort of slice of her that, that exists at last before, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, what we would call she passed, right. Um, that was a technically a sort of a different slice than the slice that existed a second before that and before that and before that and before yeah. that. And so it's, it's, it's sort of helping you, right. Uh, you're not attaching to your, to, to yourself, to someone who is in continual existence for I some particular sure. time. As you understand those things that changes attachment because you're not attached. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got it. All right. I'm, I'm going to move us along for the sake of those that are like, okay, got it. Impermanence and interdependence. Okay. So if someone gets on board with that, that, that you need to be constantly trying to, to think differently about these things that will reduce suffering. How does that, how does that take us to theism? Like, how does that help? Yeah. So um, yeah, first off, just to be clear, to clarify my own position, I don't find the, the metaphysics of Buddhism um, plausible. Right. So I follow um, a philosopher named Thomas Reed, who's a common sense epistemologist. Uh, basically, what seems obvious to you, right? <laughs> you should yeah. believe that unless you have like damn good reason to reject that sort of uh, view. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it really seems to me that my wife is, <laughs> um, uh, you know, that, that she exists and it's, uh, she doesn't go out of existence every, every second. <laughs> Um, you know, she's the same one today as she was yesterday and she'll be the same person the day before or the day later. Uh, yeah. So, um, I don't find that, um, uh, helpful because I don't think that it's accurate. Right. Yeah. But for my Buddhist friends who do, so, um, you know, I have a good friend here in Macau and he's a Buddhist philosopher and, um, he's interested in, in Christianity, right. And, and whether or not there's synthesis between the two. Right. Yeah. And he's, it's, it's not uncommon. I've had friends in the past who were Buddhists for some particular mm-hmm. period of time and they were philosophers um, and thought that they had to be either Buddhist or theist or, you know, they had to be Buddhist or Christian, right? They, they, they couldn't have it both ways. And so they were like, I guess I'll just go the Buddhist route though. Right. That's the one I'm more, a little bit more confident in. So I'll just go the Buddhist the one way. That can't you know? save you. Why would you choose that one? Anyway, continue. Yeah. 
And, and so um, the project, this broader project is supposed to go, okay, wait a minute. If you're a theist or you want to be a theist, but you also want to endorse what I call mere Buddhism. Yeah. Obviously there's a lot of other different metaphysical doctrines and, and other things that might come up with various different traditions in Buddhism. Sure. Um, but this is what I'm just calling the sort of mere basic Buddhism, right? Okay. Um, that I want to be able to say that you can, you can do both. Uh, mm-hmm. While in the book, we don't say you can be a Christian and be a Buddhist because I'm not a theologian, right? So I'll leave that to my theologian friends. Um, but uh, we think we're, we're making headway, at least, if we can say that you can be a theist yeah. and be a, a Buddhist. Okay. So you might say something like, well, how can you... How can you be a Buddhist and a theist, right? I see now where the classical theism thing comes in. Okay. Yes. It's yes. clicking. We just said that all things, all objects, right, are impermanent and interdependent. God's not supposed to be, God's supposed to be permanent though, right? God's supposed to be uh, de- uh, independent of all things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're saying that, uh, you know, God is constantly changing <laughs> uh, such that now we're talking about like God one, God two, God three, sure. you know? Sure, sure. Infinite. And, and, and uh, um, yeah, and then we're, we're talking about uh, not only a God who's not existing permanently, but, you know, a, a God who's dependent on all of his, his creation. And now, now we really are getting into some more process mm-hmm. theology stuff, right? Yeah. So um, you might think that theism is not compatible with that then, right? And so classical theism, however, said God's not an object. God's not a thing. So the impermanence and interdependence theses don't apply right, to God. Right. They only apply to things, to object, to phenomena. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I dig this. I, I like it. So talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you said you were just talking about mere Buddhism. And so we're not getting into a lot of the stuff that people think about, but you did tell me we could talk about karma. Talk right, a little right, bit right. about what karma is, maybe how Buddhists think of karma and how that that works into this conversation. Can right, Christians right. believe in karma? By the way, just my own personal caveat here. It seems to me that most Americans, even a lot of Christians, believe in karma. They might right. not say those words, but they act as if it's true. Right. I mean, and there's a little bit of it in this biblical idea, you reap what you sow, you know, um, do unto others as mm-hmm. you would have them do unto you kind of thing. And I think so many people think, well, I've put good stuff out there. I deserve good stuff back. And so then when it doesn't happen that way, it's like, well, this isn't fair. This isn't how it's supposed to be. So I think a lot of people believe in karma, whether they say it or not. But anyway, right. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. So um, in the where karma comes into play. So in the book, basically we say, okay, how can we understand human identity and, and human judgment? Because obviously humans are things <laughs> and uh, they would be constantly changing. And you know, we'd have different slice. Tyler would be like, this particular Tyler slice that exists at, you know, T1, T2, T3, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we actually utilize the work of Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, actually, and, and I know you have some reform followers. In fact, Sarah, I, I know you're reformed. Uh, Why does uh, everyone that comes on the show want to out me as being reformed? <laughs> yes, I am reformed. So um, is Evan, by the way, I'm not alone. Continue. Uh, at least he's a Lutheran. Though, reform. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bad Lutheran in that way, I think. Another another podcast, another day. We'll we'll jump in that river another time. And I haven't read nearly enough Jonathan Edwards to really be considered That's reformed. True. So okay. Uh, so Jonathan Edwards actually affirms impermanence theses, right? Um, where uh, and so we talk about how how does Jonathan Ed- Edwards then understand I, uh, human identity, right? And uh, and so we just kind of use him to make sense of how God can still judge us and how we can still have some, at least really weak sense of identity using the works of Jonathan Edwards and so forth. And then we kind of go through when we say, okay, what other sort of objections might one have, right? Um, from this sort of uh, Christian or Muslim or Jewish perspective when it comes to uh, Buddhism. Um, and so that's, uh, that is uh, where the karma bit comes up. And there's two different ways to understand karma. Um, there is this kind of more robust metaphysical way, like this much more theological, robust ontology sort of way, and then a much more naturalistic or reductive way. Mm-hmm. 
So I think what we're most familiar with in popular culture, right, is, is the much more ontologically heavy version where, you know, there's in some sense, somewhere, some cosmic scale yes. <laughs> that is taking into account all of our good actions and all of our bad actions, mm-hmm. right? And there's a sort of a cosmic response to that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we do uh, will, you know, uh, the good things will lead us toward enlightenment and perhaps to better re- um, reincarnation paths in the future, right? And obviously, bad karma will will prevent this, right? Put us at a um, worse spot for enlightenment and so forth. Uh, but then there is a much more naturalistic way of understanding it. And that's just um, how whenever I sort of put something bad into the universe, guess what? We're all connected together. Right. And so I'm, I'm harming us. I'm har- harming all of us. And if I'm harming all of us, I'm harming myself and I'm harming my own way of enlightenment, right? To to get the right realization about reality. And so, uh, but the the more good that I put in to the universe, the the, the more I help people, I'm really helping myself and my own route to enlightenment. Okay. So if if that's just all what you mean by karma, well, then I I don't think there's any sort of doctrine in Christianity or Islam or Judaism that's going to think that that's, you know, objectable. Maybe the first sort of understanding, but uh, not the sure. second. Sure. I, I think you could, if you're with someone that's thinking very philosophically, you could object to it in the sense that can we do anything good? Like, is there uh, good the you know, outside of God kind of, you know, um, <laughs> but we already have Dave. We had David Baggett on a couple of weeks ago. So we'll <laughs> refer people back to that podcast about goodness and morality, but um, okay. I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, that's just right. sort of common sense. Like if I do a bad thing, it's right. bad for me and it's bad for others and vice right. versa. Right. Um, yeah. If I help and it's going to prevent it's- you from re- realizing reality and how it ultimately really is. And it's, uh, that is going to, um, cause you to suffer more according to Buddhism. Well, it's like the disordered, is it disordered thinking? Um, that Augustine disordered what is it? Desires, disordered desires is kind of Augustine's thing, yeah. right? Like the uh, you can skew yourself. Yeah. By doing those things. Okay. Do you have any questions before? I don't want to just like take over. Well, I'm, can, I, can I, I just am, say one thing real quick? Yeah. yeah. Right before your question. Sorry. I was trying to find this earlier. Um, there's a really good quote from uh, the philosopher, Father Davis, in reference to speaking about Catherine of Siena and Jonathan Edwards. He has this really great quote. I, I wanted to mention God is ultimate reality, and Catherine of Siena, whose thinking is governed by the notion of God as source of everything, repeatedly says that only God is, and she herself is not. In a similar vein, Edwards explains that creatures are, in a sense, empty. By creatures being thus wholly and universally dependent on God, writes Edwards, it appears that the creature is nothing and that God is all. And so again, the, the idea of emptiness, right, in Buddhism, uh, this because of interdependent, because of the dependence thesis, like this fits really well with that. Okay, so I just wanted to bring that in since we brought up reform stuff. Okay, sorry, go ahead, time in. <laughs> well, I, I I had a a number of maybe random thoughts, but let me just kind of try to make sure I understand the thesis because if I'm yeah, a little yeah. lost, then other people might be a little lost. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so the the basic thesis is that sort of mere Buddhism would would suggest that there are two key uh, you know two key realities. One is that all things are not permanent and all things are interdependent. Okay, mm-hmm. and we could sort of um, even though like we would not accept that on its face as as sort of you know Orthodox Christians, but we we could say that God is sort of outside of the category because God is not a thing, right? So all things are not permanent. Okay, fine. All things are interdependent. Okay, fine. But God is not a thing. So therefore we can, so would this be kind of the first step of say converting, if you will, Mm -hmm. or bringing the gospel to a Buddhism is first to say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, okay. We, we can, we can go along with that. We'll put that on the back shelf, back burner for now, but understand that God is not a thing. So is that kind of the first step? Because I think, I mean, you're, you're okay. So we, so there's clarity there. Okay. Now, um, so a couple of big questions on sort of, sort of the Western uh, experience with day-to-day Buddhism would be right, something right, right. like, is Buddhism even theistic? 
I think that would be question number one. Do they even have a God? Um, and then again, in terms of our particular Western experience of Buddhism, which is pretty shallow, I think it's safe to say, you're like, oh, I read, you know, fixing motorcycles in the art of Zen Buddhism, whatever <laughs> right. that is, right? Um, for a lot of people in the West, Buddhism seems to be kind of an escape valve, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I mean, I, I, I've met a lot of people who are like, well, I'm Buddhist. And I'm like, no, you're not. Give me a break. Like, when is the last time you went to the temple? Okay. People just say that because they don't want to admit that they're actually an atheist, but they want to claim some higher moral ground. So, or they like to meditate, or they believe there's sort of this yin and yang kind of. I mean, I think there's a few things they've picked that they like. Sure. Like cafeteria yeah. style, but like, are they actually like? So, one question would be to sum it up would be can a rich person be a Buddhist? Right. Mm. Because if the, if the point is like detachment, Aren't, aren't wealthy people really just having their cake and eating it too, you know, or how do they get around that? So just as a rhetorical point, like, like if you're actually a Buddhist, doesn't it require certain disciplines that seem mm-hmm. to not be common in the West, but to, to bring it back to the kind of where I veered off here, um, like without maybe trying to explain to a Buddhism, what classical theism is like, as we encounter it on a day-to-day basis, um, is there kind of an argument about whether God even exists within Buddhism? Is that a place to, to sort of start? Like how would, how would you go about talking to someone who says they're a Buddhist if we wanted to kind of start to get them to question whether that's actually the case or not? Right. Well, of course you can just ask them what they mean by that. Um, right. Just see where they're coming from. And then, um, if, if they're not very forthcoming <laughs> with the information, um, then you can say, well, as I understand Buddhism, right? Um, Buddhism asserts these theses, right? Interdependence and, and impermanence. And, and uh, so is that, is that what you believe, right? And, and, and go from there, right? And it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I believe. It's exactly what I believe. And then you can say, well, you know, I think these theses are actually consistent with belief in God. And then you could explain, I mean, so many people, um, uh, don't understand classically how theism has been defined, right? By the great conf- historic confessions, whether they be reformed or Catholic, right? Um, and so, you know, just starting off with like, this is what I mean by God, right? I mean by God, pure actuality, right? And you explain what that is, right? Maybe you give them the first ways to help explain that, elucidate that. Um, and then, and then see where there are. I mean, are, are they are they now open to theism? Well, if so, now say, okay, well, if, if God does exist, um, what, what do we do with the resurrection? And then you can get into historical evidence, right? Michael Lacona, N.T. Wright, sure. you know, William Lane Craig stuff. In fact, in the book, uh, the last chapter, uh, the second chapter on pluralism that we address, we, uh, in response to a pluralist philosopher named John Hick, uh, you know, we defend the argument from the resurrection of Jesus, also the uh, miracle of Fatima, but uh, we don't need to get into those details here, but, um, uh, and, and, you know, so, I mean, obviously the, the, the idea, if you read the book, you're going to get this idea that, um, that this is a resource to help bring, if, if, if you're a Christian, at least you'll know this is a resource to help bring people closer to uh, Christian discussion, Christian dialogue, Christian faith. And so that's, uh, I guess, how I would um, handle um, someone telling me I'm a Buddhist. And that's, that's yeah. how I would do it. Yeah. Definitely starting yeah. off with just hammering on what, you know, what is God? I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. I was just going to say then in, in that case, my hope would be that I do encounter a sincere Buddhist. Right. Right. And not, and not a lazy, wealthy um, Westerner. Right. Who who wants to be able to claim some kind of moral standard for themselves because it would be totally gauche to be an atheist. Right. (laughs) Um, And so they adopt cafeteria style like Buddhist principles, um, you know. And uh, so in that case, I I would hope that I would meet sincere Buddhists. Right. Yeah. Like so that I could actually dialogue at that at that level. Well, that kind of gets to my next question, which is the reverse. So. I love the idea of talking to a Buddhist and and seeing if there's a way to move from there to theism and then eventually even to Christianity. That's amazing. Moving the other direction, my question is, I have several friends who are Christians or claim to be Christians and will like go to Buddhist retreats, Mm. silent meditation retreats, or they will have things in their home that are like Buddhist sayings or they'll meditate every day and not meditate on scripture, right? Like, And so there's kind of this, Eastern mystical, like ways that some of the Buddhist teachings and ideas are coming in. And I'm wondering if you think that there's a danger there and like, where, where's the bridge too far? Like, is it okay to 
you know, I don't know, like go eat at a Chinese restaurant that has a little Buddha when you walk in, but it's not okay to go to a retreat where they're, I mean, I read Siddhartha mm-hmm. when I was in like ninth grade. And all I remember from the book is that Siddhartha is, is that's Buddhism, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's like the, the original Buddha or something that is Siddhartha. Anyway, all I remember from the book is that he goes off and he has a lot of time being quiet which sounds awful to me because I do love noise and to talk and all of that, but it doesn't sound like it's particularly wrong, you know? So I guess my question is, is there a danger to trying to have all of that and do all of those things? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I want to say, and this, this is where my alliance with my reformed brothers and sisters might uh, uh, cut off here. That's okay. We can um, still be friends, even if you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, specifically the, you know, part of my understanding about this has been informed by, you know, Vatican II, right. Um, Catholic, um, ecumenical dogmatic council, um, where I want to say that all truth is God's truth. Yeah. I'm down with that. And truths found in other religions and practices found in other religions and cultures, if they're true and good, then they're holy and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and I, I t- uh, am typically a bit more optimistic about, I think there's oftentimes, even within Hinduism and other religious traditions, a lot more that's beautiful and true and good in the religious traditions than say a standard evangelical approach where, uh, at least how I was as an evangelical, uh, um, how I was taught and saw the world was, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Um, they're completely and utterly wrong, show them how they're false and bring them to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, if I, I'd be in trouble, you know, I live in China. I'd be in trouble if I had to leave any place that had a Buddhist statue, couldn't like go in any taxi or restaurant. I, that I'm, was I'm, mostly mm. to be tongue in cheek. I'm not going to stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> getting my nails done there. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd be hungry. Um, yeah. uh, but, um, yeah. So if, if you go to a Buddhist temple, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, if you pray to God, the God of classical theism, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. If you do an act of, uh, if you're starting to meditate and just, you, you believe in the metaphysics that ultimate reality is God. God is ultimate reality. I I, in a sense, am not. He is, in a sense, something, right? So at the Buddhist retreat, you're, you're focusing on this. You're thinking about this, right? I, I can't see anything that's wrong with that. Uh, now, as for, like, offering up um, incense to uh, bhadvas or, you know, offering up incense to uh, acts of worship, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's obviously where I have a... <laughs> uh, uh, an issue with, and I would encourage my friends not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the question is, well, what if the Buddhist wants to still do that, right? Uh, and uh, believe in Christianity too. And I think that's where uh, I'm uh, not comfortable talking about because I'm not a theologian, and especially I'm not a Catholic theologian where I have all knowledge of canon law and and so forth and can systematically kind of give a, a, a nice answer for this. So as, as a philosopher, I'll go back to my sort of little cave and I'll just yeah. say, well, well, this is what mere Buddhism is. And this is what classical sure. theism is. Then they seem consistent, you know, the end. <laughs> well, and you so. don't at that point have to be a theologian. You just have to know your Bible and be able to say things like, well, it seems like Jesus was saying that he is the only way and, and go from there. But I, I'm, yeah, that's not my intention to get into the nitty gritty of that kind of thing. I think I have thought of, so I think Buddhism has a, a strong, it's fingers strongly in Western thought, religion, faith. Um, so much so that sometimes people don't even be, like realize that there's kind of some of these Eastern and something that's something being Eastern doesn't make it wrong and bad. Right. But when you start talking about religion and this, this sort of Eastern mysticism that I think creeps in to me, the danger, and I'm curious if you think this is true or not, is that the focus starts to go inside rather than outside within rather than without, right. To be Christians believe that, that salvation comes from without, like we need God to rescue us, right. There's a, there's a rift between us and God and we need Jesus work on the cross to save us. 
Um, and so when we pray, we pray to someone outside of us. When we cry out for help, we cry out to somebody outside of us. Um, and when we meditate, we meditate on something outside of us or about something outside of us. And it seems to me that Buddhism and some of the mysticism that comes along with that has you looking inward to those things, inward to some sort of inner divine spark, your own self being kind of God. I don't know if that's actual Buddhism or the way that it's sort of been bastardized by yeah, people that I, just want to be like mystical. Thoughts yeah, on that? I think that's that's more of like a bastardized version. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, in the Mahayana tradition, um, grace is like heavily emphasized. And also yeah. within uh, Buddhist traditions uh, that have been highly influenced in Japan, grace is highly emphasized. We need grace and From we need where? Uh, well, some, maybe someone who's reached enlightenment, but still sort okay. of not fully becoming, you know, not, not fully entering that um, until, you know, all are saved until, you know, so we can, we can ask for Interesting. Th- their merit or their enlightenment and, you know, we can, that, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, as for just uh, sort of seeing Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, no one coming to the father, but through him. Um, and seeing, uh, you know, an axe, right. And no other name is anyone saved, but the name of Jesus Christ, uh, firmly believe that, right. Yeah. Catholics firmly believe this. Yeah. However, we will differ probably here in that. I think that Buddhists can be trusting in Christ without realizing it, believing in Christ without realizing it. If, if, uh, they don't know, yes. Yeah. So if they don't know if Christianity is true, uh, they don't know the church is true. Um, but, you know, uh, they are trusting in the truth they have. Jesus is the truth. They're, they're trusting in Christ without realizing it. Yeah. And so I, I think that's, that's, that's a possibility that, uh, you know, many Buddhists are, are saved and reaching enlightenment and so forth. Um, but obviously, as my job as a Christian is to make, even if they are somehow mysteriously in union with Christ, my job as a Christian is to still proclaim Christ in hopes that they would be uh, more robustly tied to Jesus right. um, and experience the fullness of what it means to be union with Christ and his holy church. Yeah, I like it. We are kind of out of time and it's very late for you. It's the next day for you. It's Sunday. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, any final thoughts you want to, I didn't even get to I, seven of my questions here, but um, but any other like final thoughts you want to give or what is the name of the book so that when it does come out in February, people can look for it. Yeah. So the name is classical theism and Buddhism. Um, and you're going to make me forget the subtitle. Uh, hold on. I'm going to make you. Now you <laughs> something like, like a synthesis of ethical and it's a, uh, uh, something like a synthesis of ethical and soteriological systems, something like our connecting. So ethical and sociological systems, something like this, um, we can but your name on Amazon, right? Amazon, right. Classical theism and Buddhism will come up, right. That's the name of the book. That's the main title of the book. Okay. So. Okay. And if people want to send you hate mail about, yeah. being, uh, you know, kind of like low key universalist, I'm joking. I'm joking. But where can people find you if they do want to I don't think universalism is true though. I do hope it is true, but I, I, doesn't uh, everyone. I mean, um, this is my like beef about when people are like I'm a I'm a hopeful universalist. I'm like, so you're a human? Like we would all love that, right? Um, well, I think there there is it's I think it, there is a possibility, even if I'm very skeptical of it, it being a, a, a pop, you know a genuine possibility. But uh, okay, yeah, you can you can email me at s a r a h m a. <laughs> that's my email what a silly person tyler is if one uh, wants to send hate mail you can send that um, other emails oh i'm uh, already getting uh, hate mail don't worry <laughs> uh you can you can um tyler.mcnab at usj.edu.mo Ooh, fancy okay uh, or find him on Facebook or some yeah, Google or Twitter, name or and harass him in whatever way you want to. And then, of course, if you want to know more about Theology on Tap and all the stuff we have going on, uh, you can find everything you need to know about life, salvation. No, I'm kidding. But just about us at HoustonTOT.com. I have a feeling this podcast is coming out right after our February event, but we have events every other month. And if you come to them, you get to vote on the topic for the next one. So come use your democratic voice. And uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I believe the book will be out or coming out soon. When's it coming out? Comes out two days after. Okay, perfect. So, so it's just in time to order it on Amazon their appetite. and get that two day shipping and get it there. Yeah. 
Two day shipping, please. I'm a same day prime member. Two day uh. shipping is like a pioneer. Okay. Anyway, thank you, Tyler, for joining us today. I'm going to let you go sleep now. And thank you all for joining us, listening. Um, as usual, you know, subscribe and like us and review us and rate us and give us all your adoration and adulation. Uh, but until we see you next, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed.